Connected Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we have short discussions on big ideas in healthcare. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger. In a recent episode, we talked about sustainability in healthcare. And what if, in addition to being more eco-friendly, we could also leverage nature to develop medicinal solutions? This brings us to today's topic, which will be synthetic biology. Ryan, given that you have a PhD in genetics and developmental biology, I'm excited to see where you might take this topic. You know, in the last few years, there's been a lot of buzz around the idea of applying engineering to biology. So could you give us a prelude into why synthetic biology is important and why it's exciting? <laughs> so um, the idea of synthetic biology, it's one of those... Uh... It's an old idea, but it is getting much more traction recently because the tools have gotten much better. A number of companies like uh, Merck, just by way of example, and others were formed around the idea of more intelligent drug design, as opposed to relying on random collisions for drugs, instead saying, we understand the molecular pathways underpinning disease. We can target those areas that we know are wrong and spend less money on drug development because we know what we're going for. Now, traditionally, this has been very challenging because biology is incredibly messy, right? And so it's very, very difficult to look at a system and predict effectively what will occur. I mean, just by way of example, I'm going to get a little bit into the weeds here. Uh, one situation or one challenge that existed for a while was taking a long string of DNA sequence, because that's what you read when you're doing DNA sequencing, and saying, what will this folded protein look like? That's very hard, but that is sort of at the heart of some of the synthetic, synthetic biology things we'll discuss. Does that make sense before I go on? I think there's a bit to unpack there. I, I think when you start getting into DNA, <laughs> it gets a little outside of, of my immediate expertise. I know there's a lot of application um, you know, with materials and with the agricultural space. Um, however you can tie that together, uh, please continue. Oh, definitely. We're 100% we're going there. I, I just need to provide some context. So a challenge that existed for a long time is you can take a DNA sequence, right? Um, and each codon codes for an amino acid, and each amino acid has a certain charge characteristics, weight, size, which should be able to tell you when the protein is fully made, what will its fold look like, right? Uh, however, for decades, this has been an almost entirely unsolvable problem because you're dealing with the interactions of so many different pieces. Uh, proteins can fold back on themselves from a really long distance. Uh, this has traditionally been really hard and not being able to uh, derive what the fold might look like from a sequence sort of limits what you can do to some respect, right? Because often when we're looking at mutants and proteins and so on, what we're seeing is a change in the single strand sequence, which can be difficult to intuit what that means from a structural perspective. So it's hard to sort of make something that will uh, account for that change. Uh, does that make sense? I'm following you. Okay, great. So one now that our, uh, for instance, machine learning, other tools, we've collected much, much, much more data. Um, now we're starting to get to the point where we can anticipate folding behavior through primary through the primary DNA sequence. That gives us a lot of control. 
And on top of that, our understanding of molecular pathways, synthetic pathways are getting much better. So now we can start applying some of those uh, synthetic biology principles, which have been being dreamed of for an age. And this unlocks a lot of doors. Now, because we have a sense of the relationship between sequence and structure, we can start saying, we know what this structure should look like. If we make these tweaks, we might be able to make this substance, this material harder. We might be able to make it easier to manufacture. We might make it more hydrophobic. Uh, we might make it bind to a certain thing, right? Or we might be able to say, if we do these steps, we can make a uh, protein look in a certain fashion. We can make a, there are some other really wonderful examples where it's more just about uh, taking the synthetic machinery and transplanting it somewhere else, but we can talk about that in a moment. So it sounds like there's a level of customization available through synthetic biology that wasn't there before. Right. And uh, synthetic biology, in this case, it, it's more of a paradigm, right? It, it's not as if there's a book and that book is synthetic biology. It's more just we're getting a better understanding of the pieces. And so geneticists writ large are able to engage in sort of synthetic biology behaviors. It's almost more of a verb than a noun, but uh, I'm probably wrong on that. <laughs> but uh, Beyond that, one of the other advantages of us getting this better form of control is you can make uh, organisms produce proteins and therapeutic proteins, ostensibly healthcare focused, uh, that previously we weren't able to make. So there are a couple of really innovative groups out there which are working on taking drugs which traditionally have been harvested through agriculture, just by way of example. And now we're, they're starting to apply some of these synthetic biology tools to make those drugs using more standard uh, bioreactor systems, which we talked about, I believe, in a previous podcast. And the joy of that being it's very scalable, right? Uh, agriculture is slow, right? It's messy. It requires a huge amount of resources. The water alone is massive. The seasonality of it, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I suppose that's true, actually. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's animal, sometimes it's plant. But, you know, like insulin is one of these where uh, it's synthetic biology has been huge. Uh, but the point, the point of all of this is you can apply synthetic biology practices to the generation of a range of therapeutics, which heretofore were very expensive to make. So, you know, for the innovators who are doing this, they can, while still making a very nice profit, uh, they can produce these life, often life-saving and essential medications at a fraction of the cost that you would normally produce these uh, compounds with using agriculture-based methods. Okay, so when you talk about the scale and sort of the changing of the methodology, what are some of the regulatory hurdles and implications that come with this? Are they the same as traditional methods of developing drugs? What that's do you a, got here? That's a great question. Um, it's a little bit, it depends. So if we're talking about, it depends a little bit on if we're talking about a small molecule or biologic. 
And almost by definition, anything that we're talking about here is probably going to be classified as a biologic because it's being made in sort of a bio, bioreactor synthetic biology system. In that instance, when you're talking about getting approval for biologic, there is a regulatory approval pathway called biosimilars, which is not as uh, difficult as going through the full, you know, classic clinical trial process, but it is more difficult than going through the generic approval process that you have to go through for small molecules. So it's still a couple of years, but it's not like, uh, ten, it's not the 10 years and a billion dollars lead time that you might see otherwise. So by biosimilar, you're saying sort of take something that exists and sort of alter the methodology to get there um, wouldn't be sort of starting from, from square one, but sort of um, elaborating or adjusting the process? Precisely, effectively. I mean, if you think about it this way, it, so one of the thing, one of the hallmarks of a biologic is that it's huge, right? And it's, so it's made by a biological process. So there's some degree of variability in the system. So a good deal of the approval process for a biologic, it's tied, we're getting a little into the weeds here and that's okay. Uh, it's tied very closely to the manufacturing process. So if I'm building a biologic and I'm getting it approved, uh, the FDA, if you're in the United States, needs to approve every step of your process. And if you change anything about how you manufacture your biologic, you have to get reapproved, and it's a mess. Um, and this is part of why the biosimilar process is a little bit different, because for a biosimilar, you're making the same compound, but the same compound, right? It's a same the protein. It, those proteins aren't going to be identical. The mix is a little bit different. Uh, the way it's manufactured is a little bit different. So there's a different approval process. Got it. For those who can't see Ryan, uh, there were some air quotes happening in there with, <laughs> sa with same, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I want to take you out of the weeds and, and kind of change the direction as we get to the conclusion of, of the episode. I've done a little bit of research and seen that using synthetic biology principles, there's an elimination or a reduction in the use of animals uh, for testing and research. Can you speak to that a bit? Oh my goodness, yeah. It's so the personalized medicine side of um, synthetic biology is near and dear to my heart. Uh, there have been some hits, uh, some dramatic misses, unfortunately. Uh, CAR-T therapy is one of the really good examples of this, right? Where they take your cells out, um, it, whether or not it's synthetic biology, it's a little up in the air. Like I said, it's almost more verb than noun. Um, it's, uh, so that's a case where you have a cancer patient, you take out some of their T cells, you engineer them to target the cancer cells of interest. You uh, have them divide a bunch of times in a dish effectively and then you infuse them back into the patient and those T cells then attack the patient's cancer cells. Uh, this has been life-saving or life-changing for some melanoma and other um, non-solid cancer patients. Uh, it has all, the, the same technique has, if I'm recalling correctly, had trouble in a few trials. Uh, so it's a challenging process, right? 
uh, one of the other advantages with uh, synthetic biology, especially as you move more towards uh, tissue engineered models of uh, biology or disease states, instead of doing things in animal systems, you can start to do things in model human systems. For instance, the kind of lab on a chip stuff that we were talking about before. Um, the other area where this comes up is the idea of humanized animals. So, uh, and this sort of goes in both directions and I'll explain what I mean in a second. So with humanized animals, you're talking about, uh, for instance, a pig, what, which displays uh, human uh, sort of surface antigens as opposed to pig antigens. So then you can take say uh, pig tissue and this is something we do now, but you just need more immunosuppressants to do, immunosuppressants to do it. You can take a uh, pig organ, transplant that into a person and have it not engage in uh, xenotransplantation, which is generally speaking, very, a very aggressive form of rejection can take place during true xenotransplantation. Uh, with something like a humanized pig or, humani or a humanized pig, you don't have as severe a reaction. Um, what these systems like humanized, humanized, humanized pig, humanized mouse, they also allow experiments to happen in a more human-like environment which is particularly important when you're talking about drug trials, right? So there's the extreme personalized element where you take, let's say, uh, Jeremy, some of your cells, you put them on a dish, uh, you put them in a tissue engineered model system, you test a whole suite of drugs and you see which of these causes a problem for Jeremy specifically, right? Uh, then there's also, if uh, you know Jeremy has a problem, maybe there's a humanized pig, maybe there's even a uh, pig with, you know, the Jeremy antigens, right? Waiting to give you that organ you need. Um, th these are, it's a little science fiction-y, but uh, that's a direction things could move towards depending. Uh, the only caveat that I'll add is synthetic biology is something where it's still messy. It's still in flux. Our understanding is not perfect, but a number of the developments we are seeing in the space are extremely encouraging in the sort of near-term tactical, these things will almost definitely happen space, as well as the sort of science fiction, a little bit future out there, uh, applications for you know, the future. Well, what, what can happen will happen, as, as they say. Um, I like that you've, you've brought in some, some sci-fi to it. I think the, the personalized model is, is one that, hey, if that can scale, then, then we're getting somewhere. Um, that is going to be all the time that we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you're not a subscriber already, you know where to find us. You can search for Truncated Thoughts on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our next episode, we're kind of between topics, but we might be discussing clinical trials. So until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.